This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. This was, this morning, Nikki Haley, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, talking about last night's missile strike targeting the Assad regime in Syria. Our military destroyed the airfield from which this week's chemical strike took place. We were fully justified in doing so. The moral stain of the Assad regime could no longer go unanswered. His crimes against humanity could no longer be met with empty words. It was time to say enough, but not only say it, it was time to act. Bashar al-Assad must never use chemical weapons again, ever. Well, we certainly know that he has, and we certainly know that his past use of chemical weapons went unresponded to. The international community didn't do anything. The previous U.S. president talked about red lines, and then nothing happened. So clearly that emboldened Assad, sending a message to his people that this is what I'm capable of, and nobody's coming to your rescue. So does yesterday change the dynamics? What about the Russians? does sound as though the Russians were warned about the attack or given a heads up about the attack but at the same time it doesn't seem as though they're happy about it and at this point they are still clearly in Assad's corner so where do things go from here joining us for some analysis pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Jonathan Chancer, VP of Research at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies DefendDemocracy.org Jonathan thanks for joining us here welcome to the program my pleasure all right well your initial thoughts on how we got to this point and what yesterday signifies well, uh, I think it, it must be noted that uh, what we have been watching uh, for the last uh, six years in Syria has just uh, been horrific. Uh, that the uh, the scale of mass murder, uh, the refugees, the injuries—it's uh, it, really unspeakable violence that's been taking place there on America's watch. I thought that it was a terrible decision to not act uh, at, at several key inflection points, including after the use of chemical weapons at several different moments along the way. Uh, and uh, and so I would say that last night's decision was a welcome change uh, from what American foreign policy has been. I do have to also say, though, that this is not going to change the Syrian civil war, at least right now. That does not appear to be in the cards, that this was a singular message sent, a very uh, a commensurate response to what happened uh, with the use of chemical weapons by Bashar al-Assad. The U.S. is sending a message that that cannot happen again. What we are going to see, however, is barrel bombing and other uh, atrocities that is likely to continue uh, that just don't uh, violate the uh, the laws of war. Right. So in terms of whether we've degraded Assad's capabilities to wage war against his own people, did, did yesterday change much? No, it didn't in the sense that I think he's going to continue to wage that war. He continues to have the Russians, uh, the Iranians, and Hezbollah fighting on his side. Uh, and, and I think he really does have uh, the upper hand. I think what we have told him is that there are certain things that he cannot do uh, with the United States watching. Uh, and so I think there is a, maybe a small amount of deterrence that's been added back into the picture. I think the other thing that's probably worth noting is that there is now a bit of fear and uncertainty and doubt that we have uh, placed in the minds of the Russians and the Iranians and, and the Syrian regime that the U.S. could act again 
And moreover, what we're doing now is we're actively seeking Assad's ejection from Syria through uh, diplomacy. This was not something that was on Donald Trump's radar uh, even a week ago. It seemed actually that he was willing to accept uh, the sort of permanence of, uh, of Bashar al-Assad. Now it does seem that he is going to be pushing for Assad's ouster. And the importance of that is that what we're looking at now is a two-pronged approach in Syria, not just fighting ISIS, but also fighting the other serious problematic component in Syria, and that is the Iran-Syria-Russia axis. So by pursuing both sides of that equation, we have I don't, I don't want to overstate this, but I, I think we're at least on the right track to potentially ending the Syrian civil war. It will be a long slog, uh, but only fighting ISIS would likely have emboldened Assad and Iran, and that would have been a huge problem. Well, if we're able to fight both ISIS and the Assad regime, uh, who are our allies on the ground? Who can fill that void in Syria? Well, and, and that's been part of the problem. That was part of the, the policy paralysis that we saw on the part of uh, of the Obama administration, and, and I think why they elected to essentially allow for the slaughter to continue. Uh, our, our most natural allies are the Kurds. Uh, of course, in, in allying with the Kurds, we are going to invoke the ire of the Turks, who are NATO allies, uh, rogue NATO allies at that, but nevertheless, uh, we have a, uh, a, some sort of formal partnership with them, and so that's a problem. Then comes the, the so-called moderate Syrian opposition, the Sunni rebels that are fighting against uh, against Assad and the Iranians and Hezbollah, and the problem with them is that uh, many of them are infiltrated by by radicals. So maybe not necessarily Al Qaeda, maybe not necessarily ISIS, uh, but certainly those who are influenced by jihadi ideology, and uh, and so it it really has become a problem in trying to understand who we would like to hand over the keys to uh, when this thing is finally brought to an end. I think we still have a lot of work cut out for us in terms of trying to understand who uh, is the responsible actor that should inherit Syria. I think we haven't done enough of our homework. And my hope, anyway, is that uh, with this new policy shift from Donald Trump, that perhaps he'll be motivating the international community to work together to that end. Right. In terms of whether this represents a significant policy shift or whether this was uh, symbolic action that, that might not have that kind of follow-up, what, what are we going to need to see then in the coming days and weeks? Well, look, I, I think, you know, the idea that we're going to put uh, 100,000 boots on the ground or, or start, you know, a night after night um, bombardment of, of Syria, I think, is highly unlikely. The administration is already messaging that that's not in the cards. I, I think that really what we want to watch is Nikki Haley uh, at the United Nations. Uh, does she continue to press this issue? Does she continue to call out the Russians and the Syrians for war crimes? Uh, does she try to do it to initiate? a process that ultimately ushers out uh, Assad. Those are the sorts of changes that we want to watch. Uh, of course, the Russians are now saying that they are going to pull their deconfliction lines with the United States, meaning that our uh, cooperation, nominal cooperation on fighting ISIS, may suffer. So we may see a setback uh, along the way. But I think the most important thing here for the Trump administration to do, and I think what we've seen thus far, is moral clarity. That I think up until now, the U.S. has been making uh, bargains with itself and turning a blind eye to atrocities in Syria. We can't afford to do that. We're showing leadership again, and now I think we just need to formulate a policy that the rest of the world can get behind. 
Now, there was a suggestion this week from the Russians that maybe their support for Assad wasn't unconditional, but at the same time, they've not reacted favorably to what happened yesterday. How attached are they to the Assad regime, and and what's their interest in in keeping him in power? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question. Um, You know, we know that one of their big assets in Syria is a base on the Mediterranean called uh, Tartus. Uh, and, and that's where uh, you see a lot of these Russian ships docking and where you see a lot of the weapons being offloaded. Uh, and so it's a key port for the the Syria, I don't know, military-industrial complex, if you will. Uh, and, and so I think that was the initial asset. Now I think, you know, Russia looks at, at Syria as uh, a sphere of influence. Uh, that this is a symbol of Russian expansionism, kind of a new Russia, if you will, uh, not the one that was defeated in the Cold War, but one that is resurgent under Vladimir Putin. I think that is the goal. Uh, and so uh, this spat that we're now seeing over whether or not the U.S. was justified in striking Assad, this was really a, a, an incursion into Putin's, what he saw as his sphere of influence. And so uh, we may yet see uh, a, a ratcheting up of tensions between uh, Putin and Trump, contrary to what I think the, the, the popular narrative has been for the last several months. And it'll be very interesting to see how these two very strong personalities handle this potential conflict. Indeed. And, and where do the Iranians fit in then? Well, the Iranians are the, um, the, the, uh, the, the patrons uh, of the Assad regime. They have been using the Assad regime for several ends. One, as a land bridge between Iran and Lebanon, where Iran has its most powerful proxy, Hezbollah, and it's arming up and, and preparing for yet another conflict with the Israelis. So the Iranians have been using Syria to transit weapons over land, and they continue to do so even in the fog of war, which has the Israelis very alarmed. Uh, the, uh, the Iranians have also used Syria for training bases uh, and, uh, and essentially as a home base for a number of terrorist groups that they fund and incubate. So there has been this axis, the, we call it the Iranian axis, which is Iran, Syria, and Hezbollah. They have really created what, what, what many people now call the Shiite crescent, that it's uh, Iran's influence that stretches all the way from the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean. They are fighting tooth and nail right now to ensure that they maintain this, uh, this contiguity. Uh, of territory, and that's crucial to them uh, for their designs on the region. They have this sort of vision of hegemony, and to lose Syria would be to lose a significant piece of real estate in the region that they seek to control. So uh, that explains why they're there, and we have IRGC on the ground. These are their sort of special forces. They've deployed Hezbollah, 9,000 fighters. They have Shiite militias from Afghanistan and Pakistan. There are thousands and thousands of fighters that are not uh, loyal to Assad right now in Syria, but that are loyal to Iran, and Iran is directing much of this battle. Indeed. Well, certainly important developments this week. More at defenddemocracy.org. Dr. Shantzer, thanks for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Anytime. Take care. Jonathan Shantzer, VP of Research at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, 403-974-8255. A quick break here. More on this story, including the exchange in the House of Commons today with the conservatives who are asking the prime minister some pointed questions about why his position on this seemed to shift so quickly yesterday. We're back with more right after this.
Welcome back. 403-974-8255 is a number. Well, maybe we're all globalist cucks today. Seems as uh, some of Trump's supporters on the alt-right, the whole Peppy the Frog movement, uh, are shedding some tears today. Uh, even word today that Steve Bannon uh, argued against the strikes. And some stories today suggesting he may even be on his way out. So there's some significant political developments there uh, within the administration. Uh, let's play for you here another clip from earlier today. This is U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, who's been terrific this week, by the way, uh, talking about what the U.S. might do now uh, in the days and weeks ahead. The United States will no longer wait for Assad to use chemical weapons without any consequences. Those days are over. But now we must move to a new phase. A drive toward a political solution to this horrific conflict. We expect the Syrian regime and its allies to take the UN political process seriously, something they have not done up until this point. We expect Russia and Iran to hold their ally accountable and abide by the terms of the ceasefire. We expect this council to speak loudly and forcefully when the regime or its allies undermine the political process and countless of our own resolutions. The United States took a very measured step last night. We are prepared to do more, but we hope that will not be necessary. It is time for all civilized nations to stop the horrors that are taking place in Syria and demand a political solution. All right, so there you go. That from Nikki Haley today at the United Nations. And by the way, she put out a statement earlier today. That reads as follows, quote, this morning, Bolivia requested an emergency U.N. Security Council meeting to discuss the events in Syria and ask for the discussion to be held in closed session. The United Nations or rather the United States. As president of the council this month decided the session would be held in the open. Any country that chooses to defend the atrocities of the Syrian regime will have to do so in full public view for all the world to hear. So kudos to Nikki Haley. All right. Let's turn our attention to Ottawa, where some questions were being asked of the prime minister today. Now, uh, initially yesterday, uh, the line from, from the Trudeau government was really more wishy-washy. Um, they weren't sure who was responsible for the chemical weapons attack this week and really noncommittal about any course of action. So here was uh, conservative MP Pierre Polyev asking the prime minister about that position, which very quickly last night became a very different position. Yesterday, he said that the United Nations Security Council needed to have a meeting, pass resolutions, hold an investigation to find out who was originally responsible for the chemical attacks against Syrian civilians, including children. Only hours later, the United States launched missile strikes against the origins of those very chemical attacks. Why is it that the Prime Minister can, continues to put all of his faith in the Security Council, which has failed to confront Bashar al-Assad? Right Honourable Prime Minister. Last night, the United States Secretary of Defense briefed Canada's Minister of Defense in advance of the American military strike in Syria. The Minister of Defense then immediately briefed me. This morning, I spoke with the President directly and emphasized that Canada agrees that Assad's repeated use of chemical weapons must not continue. In the face of such heinous war crimes, all civilized peoples must speak with one voice. 
That is why Canada fully supports the United States' limited, focused action to degrade the Assad's regime's ability to launch such attacks. We continue to support diplomatic efforts with our international partners to resolve the crisis in Syria. All right, that's today in the House of Commons. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this coming up after 1 o'clock and a few other stories to get to, but uh, stay by your radios. Coming up at 1.15 this afternoon, we're set to chat with maybe the most famous alumnus of Sir Winston Churchill High School here in Calgary. In fact, during his time at Churchill, he came up with a character that became known as Spawn, a character that's going to be rebooted uh, on the big screen very soon. Todd McFarlane is going to be at the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo later this month. And we will chat with Todd McFarlane around 1.15 this afternoon. So a lot more still to come here this afternoon, including, of course, your phone calls, your texts. It's time now, though, for Great Ideas, brought to you by Park2Go Value Valet. No need to search for an empty parking spot with door-to-door drop-in-go valet service. Reserve and save at park2go.ca. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 12.30 on News Talk 770 Calgary.